Blockchain technology is a term that kind of has fans and it also has haters. <laughs> so, yeah, we had skeptics, we had skeptics, and we had um, people that really liked the idea. Hello and welcome to Frontier Tech Talks. My name is Asad Rahman. This show gives short, sharp, practical tips on how to go about using new technologies to solve big international development problems, straight from those who've been there and done it. We're part of the Frontier Technologies Hub, piloting cutting-edge tech all over the world for social good. Blockchain. It's a word that incites excitement for some, deep skepticism for others, and no shortage of confusion for many. To cut through this noise, we've been piloting practical applications of blockchain technology to showcase the impact it might have at scale. Today, we're joined by Kira Nizu, Chief Product Officer at Datarella, who's been working with us on one of these applications. Her work explores whether humanitarian goods could be better tracked on the blockchain as they move around the world. Before we begin, though, I just want to say a little bit more about what we do. Funded by the UK Department for International Development, we support teams with ideas for how technology might solve entrenched global challenges. We take an idea and provide some funding and support to try it out in the real world, learning about whether or not it works. Humanitarian goods, things like essential medicines and tents, are often lost en route to where they're desperately needed. In addition, there isn't one accepted system in the development sector for tracking them. Every donor and agency works off their own separate system or database, making the supply chain less efficient and less transparent as a whole. Kira has spent the last year or so developing a private Ethereum database that might go some way to resolving this problem. In this episode, she talks about how it works, how she tested it on tents coming back from Pakistan, and where it might go in the future. My name is Kira Nitsu. I am a co-founder and CPO at Datarella. Datarella is a company um, located in Munich, Germany, and we uh, focus on blockchain solutions for the industry. So um, I'm here to talk about the um, proof of technology we made, basically blockchain for humanitarian supply chains and international development. Um, we came up with a hypothesis, um, which is how can blockchain technology make the humanitarian supply chain more transparent? Now, blockchain technology is a term that kind of has fans and it also has haters. <laughs> so um, we were, yeah, we had skeptics, like skeptics, and we had. Um, people that really like the idea. I'm just going to go into this really quickly, um, a few minutes, and what is blockchain technology? What's the benefit for the that, or that the humanitarian supply chain um, can benefit us? Okay, here we go. We have one centralized entity, and everybody kind of connects to this, and um, here we, um, this, this one entity basically has control over the network and has control over the data. 
Now, if there's an attack from the outside, um, this whole network is compromised. So it could be a hacker attack or even um, the um, controlling entity itself um, manipulating data. So it's, um, there's always a risk. What we have right now are yeah, centralized platforms such as Google, Facebook, or Amazon. They, they all sit on the data and everybody else is more or less dependent on it. So imagine a network of computers that hold the same uh, version of the data that constantly are uh, communicating with each other and checking if everybody has the same version. And um, that's basically what the blockchain does. So every um, entity, a copy of um, the, the complete data on the blockchain. It's uh, highly secure, and it's uh, tons of cryptology in there. I'm not going into that now. Um, but they all, all these, these nodes, they talk to each other. They're all connected and make sure everybody's up to date and has the same, um, yeah, same data. Now, if one of these nodes gets compromised, it's hard to do because of all the um, encryption and um, cryptographic uh, technology going on there. But if somebody manages to hack into one of these nodes, the whole network detects this very fast and just simply overrides the manipulated node. So this is the, um, the big benefit of, of the blockchain. It's very hard to manipulate and what you can envision now uh, for the future is perhaps several humanitarian organizations sharing this network of computers, of, of data sources, like um, UN, the UN agencies could hold their parts of, of nodes and, and UKA or, or the DFID could also hold parts of the node in the same network. Um, being absolutely sure that nobody is tampering with the data and that everybody has the data. How can we demonstrate that blockchain technology makes the humanitarian supply chain more transparent? So at the first moment we were quite blank. We did not know very much about how the humanitarian supply chain works. So um, what we had to do was to listen and learn. Um, we held workshops together with our stakeholders. We all sat together uh, in Shoreditch in London for a one-day workshop and we learned a lot. Um, we took all our notes and our, our um, thoughts uh, back home and um, had another workshop, <laughs> in this case with um, WFP um, people and also with um, a logistics service provider, in this case uh, Atlas Logistics, uh, to discuss how um, a humanitarian, humanitarian blockchain, a shared blockchain could benefit um, all humanitarian organizations. Um, we took all our questions back home and our thoughts and um, what we then did was we tried to verify. So, so we we had a certain understanding of uh, what was needed and which direction um, the uh, proof of technology could go, but still we wanted to verify it and be sure that whatever we were doing uh, would be the right thing. So what we did was we came up with the idea of um, surveys 
sending surveys out to the stakeholders and um, verifying either our thoughts or, or getting um, more feedback and input back um, of yeah any any questions we um, we encountered and our the feedback that we got was absolutely overwhelming and we would probably uh, have years of work uh, only to build products um, around <laughs> what um, what yeah can be improved by by um, digitalizing uh, a lot of a lot of processes um, basically what we then did we took all the answers and boiled down um, the yeah the, the um, everything to the common denominator, which then turned out to be to track the accountability of goods, so the custodianship of shipments. This is basically how the, how the system works, is that um, we have DFID creating a new event, and then um, creating contracts with the supplier and implementing partners. Um, and this contract is logged on the blockchain as it in relation to the new event. Then a shipment is created also by DFID and the supplier then um, goes ahead and starts manufacturing the goods uh, that have been ordered for the shipment. And then the supplier actively on the, on the blockchain initiates a handover to the logistics service provider who also has an identity on the blockchain. So this handover um, is then logged. It's uh, two steps um, that have to be done. First, the supplier has to relinquish the goods to the logistics service provider. The logistics service provider has to actively accept the goods. Both are steps on the blockchain. Then the handover is complete. And um, we know that the logistics service provider is now in charge of, uh, of the product, uh, of, the, um, of the shipment. When the shipment arrives um, at the implementing partner, um, there is another handover. Again, the logistics service provider actively initiates the handover via the blockchain, and the implementing partner actively accept, accepts the goods on the blockchain. And this um, is done really when the handover actually takes place. So we also created not we created two versions of this the system one version of the system but uh, two different uh, user interfaces one for the desktop view and one for uh, mobile So after you built the system, I know you tried to test it first with a shipment from the UK to Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh and then again with a shipment from Mozambique to the UK. Tell us a bit about the test you finally were able to pull off. Third uh, attempt uh, to find a good shipment um, that was, in this case, a replenishment of family tents. Supposed to, it was supposed to be a um, replenishment of uh, a warehouse, so basically the... Uh, supplier in Lahore, in Pakistan in this case, uh, shipped this replenishment to, um, to Dubai, uh, to where um, they would be, where these uh, tents are actually now um, in storage in case of an emergency or an, an event. 
So um, this scenario is an, a lot more relaxed environment where people have like their daily business um, to cope with and, and not any stressful uh, situations or too stressful. <laughs> and um, yeah, in this case, we then uh, actually managed to uh, get everyone on board, uh, the supplier, logistics service provider, and also um, the um, implementing partner. Just in this case, the implementing partner was, um, yeah, actually not, not a real implementing partner, but the warehouse uh, in, in Dubai. So we did manage to successfully track this um, with our system. Everybody was onboarded, everybody understood the interface and UI. And we completed our shipment on June 15th in 2019. What would this mean? Now, if everybody um, involved in a humanitarian um, supply chain would hold an um, identity and, and have access to this kind of tool, um, the efficiency could probably increase tremendously by sharing means of transportation, having transparency in, in, in real and real-time statistics uh, on ships good, ship goods for um, for an event would probably uh, really uh, enable some syner synergies here. The two shipments that you weren't able to carry out from Mozambique and to Bangladesh were due in part because those situations were highly stressful and we couldn't get the people working on those supply chains engaged. So how would you train people in those high-paced, stressful situations to adopt this? And how would it scale from there? This answer has to probably be given by the initiator of, or whoever uh, intends to use the system actively and to um, institutionalize it. So um, yes, we can onboard our, uh, the users within about a half an hour to an hour, um, depending upon the role. Um, and um, as another um, thought, um, in this case, DFID, if they decide to use this system on a regular basis, uh, my recommendation would be that DFID goes and um, beforehand um, take, well, onboards, um, onboards uh, potential users for the system. They have to say, okay, people, this is what we're using and um, please, um, yeah, get familiar with this. Um, yeah, we try to make the uh, UI as um, user-friendly as possible. Uh, of course, there's always room for optimization. And uh, I'm sure that there is a lot we can simplify <clears throat> down the line. Uh, but for proof of technology, this is the uh, best we could come up with in such a short time. <laughs> um, as for your second question, um, how, how would the scale? Um, okay, so the scaling um, in terms of handling the data and speed is um, actually not a big issue with the system that we built since this is a private network and um, meaning that really only the participants that are invited uh, can transact on this network. So um, if you compare it now with maybe a public net uh, blockchain network, um, maybe you've already transferred uh, one cryptocurrency from, from one wallet to another, it can take maybe a few minutes. 
um, up to maybe an hour or so, depending upon uh, which network you use and how much is going on uh, in terms of traffic. Um, but this is uh, scaling of, of hardware, basically, and um, just speed and also, yeah, there are probably some things you can do software-wise as well. Uh, in terms of users, um, this would mean we would um, we're try to get more humanitarian organizations um, on. Uh, and we've been actually trying to uh, organize a test shipment with uh, another um, larger humanitarian organization and have them um, see, give input, give feedback of um, the usability of the network and, and the usefulness for them and uh, see how we can um, scale the network to, or, or the system in general, to accommodate more, um, more organizations. Did you develop any governance models in case any issues or conflicts occurred on the blockchain? Yeah. Okay, so this is an issue that we have tackled in different uh, other projects. We are actively working on two governments, government models in, um, in other respects. Uh, so one is for uh, mobility and enabling autonomous um, driving, for instance. And one is uh, for the European Blockchain Association. Um, so we have a lot of experience regarding uh, government models and at some point, yes, we definitely will need a governance model for, uh, for track and trust. Um, at this point, uh, we've been focusing on the technology and on the testing and also on, on kind of bringing the technology forward. Um, but that is something that definitely will have to be addressed in, in the future. Given your experience, can you talk about some of the skepticism you've encountered and how you've addressed it? Well, um, lots of skepticism was, actually came or had roots in not knowing enough about blockchain. So we have people that have heard about Bitcoin and all the negative experiences there. They say, oh dear, look at all that mining. <laughs> is the uh, energy consumption um, and, and they kind of take that knowledge they have about this, uh, totally different use case and, and system and kind of transfer it to everything that has a name, carries the name blockchain. Um, that is something that um, uh, was one or is one, um, one big criticism that is easily or, or actually can be easily um, put out of the world when it comes like to, to a system like Track and Trust. Um, we've also had people saying, well, you know, we have quantum computers soon and then, you know, the blockchain won't be safe. On the other hand, nothing's going to be safe. So, um, this is, uh, yeah, rather um, um, unfounded or, of course, just a general skepticism uh, when it comes to digitalization. Um, and uh, let me think, there was one more I could think of, um, yeah, the, the um, you know, if you, if, you, if you feed the system with, uh, with bad data, uh, you get bad, bad data, and that's just true for any system, it's, uh, yeah, it's something that has to be handled, and um, 
yeah, in this case, we, uh, we rely on, on each other and on our partners that they keep hold their words. Um, yeah, it's, I'm not so sure it's a blockchain problem as more also, again, it's an it's a, um, issue that uh, digital, digitalization in general faces. Can you tell us more about where you see this work going next? So, yeah, we have um, a few um, um, goals um, that we're pursuing at the moment. One is, uh, I already told you a bit about, about the European Space Agency grant that we won. So, um, this is, um, we're trying to address the, the last mile tracking um, with satellite data. So, we've heard from numerous uh, organizations that tracking just last mile is the most murky, is uh, the hardest to handle. So we are um, currently working together with um, Aurora Tech, which is a um, satellite and communications company located here in Munich and with uh, Weaver Labs uh, from the UK in um, enabling a kind of a net mesh network um, low-range uh, network that can be um, that can handle uh, blockchain transactions or, or the volume that um, blockchain transactions have and uh, then relay them to satellite and then over to um, yeah to to the blockchain um, as to extend uh, the um, uh, the line of, of accountability um, to really as far as possible, um, as close to the people that need it. Um, this is one thing we're doing, and on the other hand, we are also still with, uh, together with you, um, trying to um, get more humanitarian organizations on board uh, for test shipment. That was me speaking with Kira Nizu from Datarella, discussing how she worked to create and test a practical application of blockchain technology to track the humanitarian supply chain. Thanks for listening to this episode of Frontier Tech Talks. To find out more about this work in the wider program, please find our Medium publication by googling Frontier Technologies Hub, or reading the show notes. Funded by the UK Department for International Development, we pilot cutting-edge tech all over the world for social good. This episode is part of a six-part series that gives short, sharp, practical tips on how to go about using new technologies to solve big international development problems, straight from those who've been there and done it.